Welcome to A Clinical Breath, respiratory insights from industry leaders. A Clinical Breath provides the community with the latest respiratory developments, trends, and expertise, all aimed at improving patient outcomes. Today's episode is brought to you by Monaghan Medical Corporation. Monaghan means it matters. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Opinions are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Monaghan Medical Corporation. Welcome to A Clinical Breath, Respiratory Care Insights from Industry Leaders. Joining me is Dr. Michael Bowman. Dr. Bowman is a pediatric pulmonologist, and today we're going to talk about something quite important, and that is myths about asthma. And there is an awful lot of myths about asthma out there, Dr. Bowman. It's really unrecognized by most caregivers or providers, uh, knowing what's driving what families do. Um, It's said that you never, ever, ever uh, offer something in contrast to what grandma says. Uh, Because if if mom is going to be deciding, what do I do now? She's going to listen to grandma over what was said in clinic. There are lots of, of things out there that can make it more challenging for a family to, to carry out exactly what the prescriber has thought was going to be happening. Folks often think that their child with asthma just has another cold. And so their, their myth is that this event, these symptoms that happen multiple times a year are just colds. In general, if you have colds, you don't do anything in between. You just get ready the next time mm-hmm. the child's going to be sick. Asthma is totally different from that. And so a major uh, challenge for the people who are managing the care is to convince the family and the child that what they do can make a difference. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot of denial, it seems, early on. We don't want to admit that there might be asthma or seek attention because there's nothing we can do. Right. Uh, How do we address that without making the fear worse? I think that that is part of the style of of being a caregiver. I think that uh, people uh, for any disease need to meet the family where they are and be comfortable in terms of talking to them. It's called patient-centered care. It's cooperative decision-making. It has a lot of different names, but it all boils down to the uh, prescriber is in the office or the clinic but they're not at home. They're not around for four weeks out of the month or six months out of the year. And other caregivers, the media, uh, past experience are there, and those may deflect or blunt uh, approaches. Now, many times the child with the asthma has yet to be diagnosed or is not well managed. For obvious reasons, they don't participate in physical activity. They tend to be sedentary. Now the child is the cause of the problem because the parent doesn't want to admit that there's a thing. How do we get past that stigma to recognize that asthma is indeed a disease that can be controlled? Demonstration, I think, is the, is the best way to do it and, and to get enough buy-in that the child can do something at least a little bit uh, in terms of playing with their their siblings or their cousins or whatever. Um, They're not going to go from being sedentary to being on a travel sports team. Mm -hmm. Uh, But realizing that 
what we expect is normal childhood activity. We want kids to be like their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I always refer to, the, to these folks as children with asthma rather than asthmatics, because mm-hmm. I want the family to know that, and the child especially, they're normal. They just have, happen to have a condition that needs treatment, but we can manage for the vast majority of kids. Uh, if, if it's a two-way communication, we can, can make differences. And a lot of what the prescriber needs to respond to is historical. They need to know what happened last week or last month. The family has all that completely removed from their mind because Johnny did this or Susie didn't do this. And now we want to try and identify that as part of the problem yes. that we need to uh, treat. Yes. And one of the, the myths that, that we deal with a lot is that, okay, I can give some albuterol, but the only thing that makes the child better is prednisone and going to the emergency room. And that winds up not being true. And it also makes things very expensive because that routine says, I don't need to give anything in between. And so um, the way things are handled now is that when you're sick enough to need a controller all the time, you need to do that and you can avoid those trips to the emergency room, markedly decrease the use of prednisone. There's a a new uh, stance coming forward uh, from the GINA guidelines GINA guidelines, those are the global Global, initiative to standardize asthma care management around the world. Yes. Um, There's the suggestion that um, it may be possible to treat asthma with intermittent inhaled steroids rather than what we've used for a long time of daily. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that, that may be changing a little bit, but the key thing to get across to the family is that asthma care is not just call the ambulance to get to the emergency. Another room. myth that since you mentioned uh, inhaled steroids, uh, there is what I call a steroid phobia for obvious reasons. Yes. But we're talking low dose steroids given via inhalation. And that's much different than what the athletes that are using performance enhancing drugs are doing. Yes. Why don't you address that more specifically, because I'm sure some parents are very concerned about that. The major reason that uh, uh, families stop giving inhaled steroid controllers is they have steroid phobia. They, I don't want to give my kids all those mm-hmm. uh, uh, steroids. They don't want to give a medicine when their child is not having symptoms. And they don't recognize that asthma is there for years. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. there for two hours here and three hours next week. The reason they don't have symptoms if they're well controlled is because they're taking the medication that keeps the symptoms under control. Right. And very few people are told or realize they've gotten used to getting prednisone bursts uh, for five days whenever they go to the ER or have a flare-up. They don't realize that they can take their inhaled steroid twice a day, every day for over a year, and the steroid that gets into the body is less than five days of prednisone. Not to be judgmental, but it seems that you as a pulmonologist have to deal with some of the myths that accompany other providers who basically didn't understand the proper way yes. and built that mindset that I have to get my prednisone. And so yes. your challenge is to try and demythize those uh, behavior patterns from yes. the past. 
kids change over over time. Every child with asthma has triggers that set off their asthma and make their lungs go crazy. And those change over time. Uh, the level of exercise that a youngster does playing at home versus being on a, a sports team in middle school, being on a high school mm-hmm. varsity team, those are totally different uh, where people live, whether they're near uh, other triggers such as exhaust and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Those things change. And so it's hard to get across to folks that asthma is individual. Once we put a child on a maintenance program, the results speak for themselves. So I like the idea that if we just try this for a while, let's go ahead and try it for a while. So you're yes. selling a new way of life yes. for these children. Say, let's just try this. Let's give it a time. And then the results speak for themselves, it seems to me. And the family needs to know that we don't do that lightly. We recognize that prescribing 14 treatments a week for a child needing a medicine twice a day, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that it's hard for families to remember. And so we're hopeful that the child may get in nine treatments a week instead of 14. Mm -hmm. But that's far better than two or sure. three. So the results could be increased activity, a loss, a reduction in the lost days of school, lost days of work for the parents, yes. lack of or reduction in the concern the parents have every time Johnny or Susie sniffles. Yes. So it's a matter of really building up the confidence of the family unit to make sure that we, we don't have this stigma that stops us from being a normal member of society. Yes, exactly. One of the other myths that we hear all the time is, well, if we just wait long enough, they'll outgrow their asthma. Yes. So we'll just kind of maintain and treat the symptoms and not worry about it. Yes. And that's, of course, something that you really don't want to hear. Right. We don't know at the start how long a particular child is going to have symptomatic asthma. Many youngsters, as they get older, don't need controller. They may still need to have their rescue medicine around. But periodic, um, only but periodically. periodically. And so... The first step is to recognize its asthma, recognize the family and the child can do something about it, Mm -hmm. and then get control. Then keep control for a while, and that may be two years or three years or whatever, and then see how we can wean down the level of care. I tell folks when we're starting, this is not going to be a days or weeks event. I tell folks that the asthma calendar doesn't have days or weeks on it. It only has months and years. It's a chronic disease, but it's a controllable chronic disease. Exactly. There is a lot of stuff out there on the internet that uh, families see or or hear. Try this, this homeopathic or this alternate uh, therapy. And it's fine for people to pay attention to those, but they really need to let the uh, provider, the prescriber, know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They need to know why they want to make a change. And there are many reasons, cost, inconvenience, uncertainty, steroid phobia, all of that. He doesn't need it or she doesn't need it. That they want to try something different, but they need to let the prescriber knows so that whatever happens going forward, if the child does well, hooray, that's great. But if they don't do well, they need to to know and not blame it on the care that the child's supposedly getting. They need to know what they're really getting and what they're not getting. Some of the children who who have asthma and are limited in school sometimes get pigeonholed as behavioral problems. And 
I don't think you can psychologically bring on an asthma attack. So it's really kind of important that we separate the fact that this is not a behavioral issue in and of itself. Right. That results from the fact that the child is, is not feeling well. Right. Once or twice in my whole career have I had a child where psychological stress really made a difference. We had a child years ago who went to National Jewish Hospital for, in resi- in Denver, in Denver, yeah, right. for residential care. She did wonderfully for two months out there. She got an asthma attack on the way home from the airport. There is stress that can occasionally impact, but not very often. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone feels that while rescue medicine can give a child a buzz a little bit, mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. like they've had too much coffee, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, the controllers don't, and they don't cause psychological changes. Mm -hmm. There is a warning for a very small percentage of um, youngsters who might be taking monolucast. But that's very well controlled by the physician uh, because of that box warning. Exactly. They know that ahead of time. So that's the one medicine that has a psychological link of any kind that I'm aware of between asthma and the and the care. But at the end of the day, it's almost like some detective work is necessary. You mentioned yes. the word trigger. That basically means there are certain elements in our environment that will precipitate an asthma attack in some people, but not other people. So yes. what is part of this detective process like in identifying the triggers? I think it's a matter of, of uh, asking the family when do things happen? Finding out where they live, finding out what home is like, how many dogs do they have, or does the child sleep with a cat? How often do they vacuum? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, a lot of uh, prescribers want to obtain a home visitation to actually learn from an experienced person what's going on. And families are not very welcoming some of the time. I understand. Uh, right. They're concerned that someone sent to see their house mm-hmm. is going to just criticize their housekeeping and might somehow want to take away their sure, kids. Sure, especially at the area of the socioeconomic disparity right. where there's some concern exactly. about financial security. So I urge folks to at least have the the family do a phone video around the house. That's a big myth is that there are things in the home environment that we all take for granted, but yet for the asthmatic, it's a trigger. So it's an awareness, making people aware of the fact that this is a disease that requires multiple interventions, including an assessment of potential triggers. And it gets back to the feeling of, I can't do anything. The helplessness. Exactly. And that is a, a... probably the biggest myth in terms of managing asthma. I'm told that in multi-unit buildings, it's almost impossible, no matter what you do, to get rid of cockroaches Mm -hmm. because they'll leave your apartment and then come back. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there are things that you can do and there are services available for the family to to make a difference. And so the I can't do anything about it, I'm powerless um, doesn't hold. But that stands in the way not only of medication administration and choice of which inhaler, but it also makes a difference in the environment and what they do about their living situation. As a pediatric pulmonologist, finally, one last issue. One of the myths is, well, let's just talk to the parents and not worry about telling the child what's going on. And in your experience, 
you've had some great success stories with the children actually taking an equal part, equal role in the action plan. Address yes. how that the happiness that you have when you can get your children to be part of the plan. I have had some patients where um, the parent basically was not available on the weekend. The school teacher told me she was worried about this particular child because he was basically on his own. A latchkey kid uh, for the weekend. Yeah, right. for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so from Friday afternoon till Sunday, he was on his own. He had a little business on the side selling uh, things he had made, but in terms of overall supervision, he didn't have any adult supervision. So we developed an asthma action plan and instructions in kid language instead of what's usually on an action plan. It was, um, uh, if you can't breathe, take two puffs. Mm -hmm. And if you mm -hmm. still can't breathe, take two more, take four puffs. And then if you still can't breathe, call call 911. I've had a lot of families, when I point out, you haven't gotten your medicine refilled, they'll throw the child under the bus uh, and say, well, I tell them to take it. And so a big thing is to point out to the, the parent where the dose counter is on, on the device so that they can uh, look to see each week have the doses gone down the way they should. Mm -hmm. And I've actually been brave enough to urge parents that for every day that their child doesn't take their medicine, that they should lose their cell phone for a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if looks could kill, I would be dead That's many true. times <laughs> over. Because the, the teen who is trying to be um, uh, totally out of the discussion is still hearing what we're saying. Sure. And I've even had one jump off the table and say, my dad pays for the, the cell phone. Mm -hmm. And mom very calmly said, He'll go along with me. It's a matter of figuring out how best to get medicines given the way you want them given. Well, this is a huge challenge to address the myths in asthma. I think we did a good job for our viewers and for our listeners. And again, thank you, Dr. Bowman, for sharing your expertise with us. You've been listening to A Clinical Breath, respiratory insights from industry leaders. Brought to you by Monaghan Medical Corporation. Monaghan means it matters. Thanks for listening and tune in again for more respiratory-related topics.